Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. I'm so very excited about today's show because I have Sarah Ballantyne back in the hot seat. As you know, Sarah is the creator of thepaleomom.com, co-host of the Paleo View podcast, and best-selling author of The Paleo Approach and The Paleo Approach Cookbook. Sarah, thank you so much for being back as my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. I'm so excited to be back, so thank you for, for inviting me again. So for the listeners out there, this is interview number two with Sarah, and I'll make sure that interview number one is in the podcast notes so you can find that link and listen to it. And Sarah, I know you remember in our first interview, we were talking all about the paleo diet, and you were actually the first guest that I had talking about the paleo diet after all this time. But there was a lot that we didn't get to in that short interview that we kind of wanted to follow up with today. Yeah, well, let's do it. Okay, so in that first interview, you were telling our listeners about your health story and about how you went onto the paleo diet, and it really helped with certain aspects of your health, but there were other aspects of your health that did not change, and that's when you stumbled into the autoimmune component of the paleo diet. So mm. can you kind of review for us, like what, what's the basic difference between paleo and autoimmune paleo diet? So I like to think of it this way. Foods have things in them that are inherently health promoting. So like the, the basic building blocks that our bodies need to thrive. You can think of that as vitamins and minerals and plant phytochemicals, fiber, essential amino acids, essential fatty acids, right? So like pl- foods have all of these amazing things that our bodies need to offer us. But then there's other things that certain foods can have that really undermine our health. So they might be uh, something inflammatory or something that feeds the wrong kind of bacteria in our um, gut so it can, can cause um, problems there. And as you know, you know, a, a unbalanced uh, gut bacteria environment is, is not conducive to health. Maybe there are things that disrupt hormones, right? The most familiar thing is uh, something that might spike insulin, right? So that's a hormone uh, that helps us process sugar in foods. And when we're chronically eating foods that spike insulin, that can eventually lead to the development of insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. So there's these things that foods can have that aren't helping us. They're actually undermining our health. And you can kind of put pretty much any food on a scale. So foods that have lots of good stuff and no bad stuff is a clear win. Foods that have lots of bad stuff and not very much good stuff is a clear loss, right? We're, that's That would be something like a refined wheat product is, is not going to do us any favors. 
And then there's a whole world of gray in between. So what I think of the difference between the paleo diet and the autoimmune protocol, right? So the, the, this um, more specific version of paleo that's designed to be therapeutic for autoimmune disease is basically where we make that cutoff. So in the paleo diet, in a standard paleo diet, there's some foods that have some really compelling nutrition, but also maybe some, you know, com- compounds in it that might be worthy of some concern. And they're kind of a, a gray area, but we, we include them in paleo because they do have this compelling nutrition piece. Those are foods that often don't work for people with uh, more imbalanced uh, and leaky gut, that have a more um, easily stimulated immune system, that maybe have hormone imbalances, that maybe have um, you know damage to organs that are affecting things like metabolism and, and other hormone health, like, for example, uh, an autoimmune disease that affects thyroid. And so what the autoimmune protocol does is it basically draws a stricter cutoff in terms of these kind of gray area foods and what's going to be included in the diet and not. So for example, tomatoes and, and vegetables of the nightshade families so that would include tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, um, potatoes. These have actually some really compelling nutrition, right? So we all know tomatoes are super high in lycopene, for example, um, you know, really powerful B vitamin-like antioxidant. Well, they also are high in a class of compounds called glycoalkaloids, um, and these are known to get across the gut barrier intact and stimulate the immune system. So for somebody with autoimmune disease, anything that stimulates the immune system has got to go out of the diet. Like, we, we, we need to calm down the immune system. We need the immune system to regulate itself. So this suddenly becomes a food that, you know, if you're healthy and your immune system's regulated well and your sleep's dialed in and your stress level's managed and you're active and you've got all your little paleo ducks in a row, it's got some great nutrition. It's definitely, you know, worthwhile including in your diet. If you're somebody who is trying to mitigate chronic illness and is using the paleo diet to overcome, uh, you know, challenges that have built up over, you know, years or decades of our life prior to this journey of, you know, fixing fixing our guts, fixing our hormones, nutrient density, right, all of those things, um, then those foods are not the best choices for right now. That doesn't mean they're off the plate forever, um, but it means that for right now, you know, that super clean, super nutrient-focused diet and really avoiding anything that's going to stimulate the immune system or disrupt gut health or hormones in any kind of way and really get that super, super clean. It gives our bodies the best opportunity to um, do what our bodies want to do, right, which is heal and work properly. Um, But that takes nutritional resources and, and that takes opportunity. And so part of this is just getting everything super, super clean. And when we do that, it also it's really powerful in terms of unmasking um, additional issues that need to be dealt with. So, you know, like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So it's a really powerful therapeutic strategy um, that really boils down to super nutrient density focus, flood the body with nutrients, don't miss out on anything, get everything our bodies need for every single chemical reaction and, um, and cut out, everything that is has the the possibility or the capacity to undermine our health. Okay, so you mentioned the nightshade 
group of foods and that mm. they contain these glycoalkaloids and how that can be bad. Um, and so what are the other foods that are in that autoimmune protocol that we want to restrict? So the other foods that are considered a standard paleo food but would not be included on the autoimmune protocol include eggs. Um, that's due to two reasons. Um, one is the lysozyme in egg whites, which can act as a, sort of like a carrier molecule. It gets into the body intact. And our bodies make lysozyme as part of our immune system. So the lysozyme itself is not the big issue. It's the part where it bonds very, very tightly to bacterial fragments um, and protein fragments in the gut and helps bring those <laughs> into our bodies. That is the problem. So the lysozyme and egg whites and also the high frequency of um, food sensitivity and food allergies. So it's about 2% of the population are allergic to eggs. So that's, um, that's why eggs are not included. Nuts and seeds, um, and this has to do with some of the anti-nutrients um, that it can be concentrated in nuts and also the um, high, um, again, food sensitivity, food, food allergy rate for nuts. Um, all dairy, so high-quality dairy would, would be considered um, a lacto-paleo or primal, or some people might consider it paleo. Um, but it's certainly included in a lot of people's personal implementation of paleo. Uh, it's off the table for um, autoimmune disease sufferers um, because of some proteins that can be inflammatory, um, because of some proteins that can um, uh, disproportionately feed the wrong type of bacteria in our gut, for example, E. coli, and uh, also because, again, the high, high food sensitivity rates. Um, alcohol is off the table, which is a very sad, sad case for a lot of people. Um, so not just, um, you know, avoiding gluten containing alcohol, but actually avoiding all alcohol nuts because alcohol itself, um, tends to disproportionately feed E. coli, especially some pretty bad pathogenic strains. So, um, it's not great for, for gut health. And so it's a, right, these are, I want to emphasize again that it's, it's not a life sentence when you're doing the autoimmune protocol. There is this idea of an elimination phase and a reintroduction phase. Um, NSAIDs, which actually is not a food, but it's um, it's a over-the-counter, not over-the-counter, it's out there in the grocery It's a, you can just get it at the grocery store, at the, at the drugstore, right? NSAIDs are things like um, ibuprofen, um, which there's many different brand names of, and this is a class of drugs that many of us take as day-to-day painkillers or fever reducers, and they're known to increase leaky gut. Um, so they're also sort of considered uh, a no-no on the autoimmune protocol. Um, at the same time as there's these foods that are off limits, um, there's also an extra focus on eating more organ meat, eating more seafood, and eating a lot of vegetables. Um, and that's because of the importance of getting the nutrients that our immune systems need to actually function and regulate themselves into the diet. So there's sort of these, those two big differences, right? There's some extra foods that are avoided. There's also this um, more uh, regimented focus on the most nutrient-dense foods available in the food supply. See, listeners, this is why I love having Sarah on, because she can explain the science behind why these foods are not good for us when we have autoimmune problems. And they're, they're just not like randomly being taken out for no, you know, re, no, no reason at all. No, it's not done There's... to be mean. <laughs> it's, 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 
everything has a reason and yeah. it's sort of important to emphasize that uh, this is an elimination diet. So if you, you know, suspected you had multiple food allergies, multiple food sensitivities, an allergist might put you on an elimination diet to help figure out what those are, right? So skin testing can only tell us so much or blood tests can only tell us so much. And, you know, most allergists recognize that those testing um, methods are, are limited. And so it would be a standard protocol to go on an elimination diet. What the autoimmune protocol is, is it's a more sophisticated version. So rather than going down to, right, lamb and rice or whatever is a standard elimination diet that an allergist might do, it's keeping that nutrient density piece. So we're going to make sure that even when you're on this elimination diet, that the foods that are on your plate are the most nutrient-dense foods that you could possibly eat. So we're going to flood your body with nutrients and you're going to get everything your body needs, complete balanced nutrition. And we're also going to take out the foods that are the highest likelihood foods to be causing problems. So things to keep in mind is that there could be foods that you're eliminating that are absolutely fine for you. And that's why there's this reintroduction phase. So, um, you know, I usually recommend that you do this elimination phase of the autoimmune protocol until you start to see symptom improvement. So for a lot of people, that's, you know, a month to three to four months. For some people, it's longer. So, um, you know, some people, it takes a little bit more dedication and they might not really get to that point and for their, where they're ready for reintroductions until nine months or 10 months or a year. And some people see dramatic improvement. I mean, I had an email from one person who got out of a wheelchair in two days. Um, so every once in a while, there's that miracle story, but that's definitely the exception and not the rule. And so, um, so there are foods that you could be fine with, but don't worry because you'll get to reintroduce them. And when you discover that you're fine with them a little bit down the road, those will be back in your life and it'll be amazing. And especially if those foods are chocolate and coffee, you'll be super, super happy. <laughs> um, right? Like, and red wine, that pretty much that's all anybody wants. Like, ah, eggs, whatever, tomatoes, I don't care. Just give me my red wine and my chocolate back and we'll be, we'll be able to talk. And that's fine. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that um, we're all individual. Our diseases are all individual. How long we've had them, how aggressive they are, what genetic factors are at play, what our gut microbiomes are doing because that's such an important signal to the immune system. Stress is a signal. Sleep is a signal. Activity is a signal. Um, so all, there's all of these different inputs into the immune system, and our immune systems respond to things differently. So there's always also the possibility that there's a food that's included in the autoimmune protocol that's not working for you and that you might need to tinker and figure out, you know, maybe it's um, – a histamine intolerance, so it's high histamine foods, right? There's there's these extra little pieces where you can continue to troubleshoot, and that's where you take the autoimmune protocol and and you adopt it, and you work on the lifestyle aspects of it because it is a protocol that is not just about food. It's also about getting enough sleep and managing stress and, and being active and having uh, a support network and a sense of community and social bonding. Those are all wrapped up into the autoimmune protocol, so you take that and then you, when, if that's not um, giving you the therapeutic value that you anticipated, that's where you, you know, t go to a functional medicine specialist and start doing additional testing and look at adrenal function and look at gut health and look at, you know, hormone health and look at uh, micronutrient deficiencies. There's a whole lot of tinkering that can then happen. So it, right now it's, it's a template that will give 
the vast majority of people the best bang for their buck in terms of their choices. Um, but it's not a one size fits all approach. It is highly, um, uh, it's the ability to individualize it is very high. And, um, and it doesn't preclude additional approaches, additional um, therapies. But I do like to warn people against trying to combine it with other dietary approaches um, that are recommended out there to have certain therapeutic functions. For example, I see a lot of people who want to do the autoimmune protocol at the same time as the candida diet. And so they end up taking these two lists of food to avoid and they're left with 10 foods. Um, one of the reasons why the autoimmune protocol is so therapeutic is because of it in- still includes a huge variety of very nutritious foods. And when you start slashing that list back, you lose that nutrient density you know, complete and balanced nutrition piece, which is so important. And gut health is built into the autoimmune protocol. Um, Unless you are specifically working with a functional medicine specialist who can look at the entire picture of of your health history and can help navigate you through these choices, um, you know, I really recommend pick one and stick with one, see where you get, then try the other, see where you get. Um, but there's a, there's a little bit of a tendency out there when we start discovering the therapeutic power of food, of wanting to do all of the things and we can miss out on this very important thing that it's not really about what you, what you stop eating. It's more even about what you are eating. Um, and I like to really think of the autoimmune protocol as a focus on the most nutrient dense foods available in the food supply. It's organ meats. It's fish, shellfish, and sea vegetables. It's the entire rainbow of vegetables, except for those nightshade things. Um, it's fruits, especially highly pigmented fruits. And then it's, you know, rounded out with, um, you know, high quality meats, things like mushrooms, right? These are, these are other really, really important, very nutrient focused foods to include in our diets. So Sarah, as people learn about the autoimmune protocol, and they read about what they can not eat, hmm. and then they have their little... Um, Hissy know, fits, yeah. <laughs> totally, out there. totally. A temper tantrum, <laughs> when you see that list, is totally normal, and nobody should feel bad about feeling that way. Yeah, so do you have any tips on uh, how to transition into the autoimmune protocol? Yeah, so, I mean, I think it's important to emphasize that you don't need to go from eating McDonald's <laughs> to eating kale and liver the next day, right? Like, it doesn't need to be that dramatic. We're allowed to be kind to ourselves, respectful to ourselves, and take it as baby steps. Um, But what motivates that decision of how we transition um, is a little bit different with autoimmune disease because how, I mean, if we're dealing with a life-threatening autoimmune disease or a really severe flare, if we have to be on really intense disease-modifying drugs in order to keep our autoimmune diseases in check, Uh, You know, even if we're people who tend to handle change better with a baby step approach, which is many of us, like I personally do better with a jump in cold turkey, right? That type of, I'm I'm just going to muscle through a transition period. I'm just going to do it. That works well for me for tackling change. Um, But for other people, the baby step approach works much better. So know who you are. Um, But even if you're a baby step person, if you're dealing with, you know, a real health crisis, um, there's a little extra motivation to either do a pretty fast pace through those baby steps um, or maybe do a few baby steps and then jump in the rest of the way. Um, but it's it's okay um, 
to, to break this up into, into pieces. And if there's a non-starter for you, so if you look at this list of foods and go, all right, I can do all of this, but there's no way I'm giving up my morning coffee. Okay, let, like, let's meet in the middle there. That's actually meeting way over close to the autoimmune protocol side. That's not even the middle. Um, keep your morning coffee. Um, put in an, some autoimmune protocol friendly, you know, fats uh, or sweeteners in that coffee. So don't don't like now your coffee's full of heavy cream and refined sugar and whatever. But like if if that coffee is going to mean you can do all the rest of the things, do that and then tackle coffee later. Like you, maybe you'll get amazing healing and you'll never have to give it up. Maybe in two months you'll be like, man, I think giving up coffee is going to be my missing piece. I got to try giving up coffee. But it's it's okay if there's this one place that's a give and take. Um, you know, there's certain places, right? If your give and take is a high sugar diet or it's gluten or soy or these, you know, highly inflammatory things, well, that's not really compatible. Um, but if we're talking about a food that would be considered a standard paleo food or a standard primal food that has some compelling nutrition and you're willing to do all of these other things, then go for it. The other thing about transition that I think goes really underrated is the importance of getting enough sleep during it. So when we get enough sleep, it reduces cravings, it normalizes hunger, it uh, regulates our metabolisms and our energy levels, and it boosts our mood, boosts our performance, um, improves our decision-making skills, reduces impulsive behavior, reduces addictive behavior, all of these things that make making a hard choice during the day easier. So if someone is struggling with um, sugar cravings or struggling with um, uh, some other, you know, fat cravings, salt cravings, right? Like, and it's really hard to keep these clean foods on their plates. Um, a really good strategy, like rather than uh, creating a ward system, if I can do this for seven days, I'll do whatever. Or, um, you know, feeling guilty, uh, doing an on the bandwagon, off the bandwagon cycle, right? All of these other things that can happen when that's the situation, making sure that um, they're getting enough sleep can suddenly make all of those other pieces of the puzzle fall into place. Um, and stress can also have that same, right? Adding some activities during the day that are mitigating stress. So, you know, just a 20 minute walk around the neighborhood in the evenings can be a huge, huge um, boon to somebody's stress management strategies. So, you know, it's okay to be kind to ourselves and it's okay also um, to to think about these other pieces of the autoimmune protocol that helps everything else fall into place. So those are some fantastic observations that you gave and I can almost hear our listeners like breathing a collective sigh of relief like, ah, oh, Sarah said... <laughs> It's okay to love yourself, oh. right? It's, I mean, you can do this with love and compassion and respect for yourself. Um, that's not an excuse to not do it, right? But it's it's okay to do it on your own terms. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, one last question for you here. So this is one that I don't really see anybody talking about is what about vegetarians and vegans and paleo diet and autoimmune protocol and can, can it be done? So if we're talking about autoimmune disease, there are nutrients that the immune system works um, to, to regulate itself, to turn off inflammation, to stop attacking the body. 
um, that are extremely hard to get from plant foods. Um, now, a pescatarian diet is extremely compatible with the autoimmune protocol. It may even be a more nutrient-dense way to do the autoimmune protocol. So a pescatarian diet, if that's a good like middle zone where we can meet, um, that's, that's a very, very compatible way to go. Um, but a purely vegetarian or vegan diet, um, right, the, the, even the supplements, it's just, it's, it's not the same thing. So we're missing out on typically the full range of amino acids. So there's certain amino acids that are more dominant in meat products that we just can't get enough of, um, in, in, in plant foods, things like preformed vitamin A, retinoic acid, um, you know, our bodies only convert three-ish percent of the uh, sort of beta-carotene carotenoids um, that we eat, you know, the colorful vegetables into retinoic acid, which is what is actually used by the body and is actually important for, you know, bone health, ocular health, and immune health. Um, There's certain proteins that we find in meat that are... um, really health promoting like creatine taurine and carnitine selenium um is much much readily more readily found in animal foods vitamin k2 um vitamin d um especially d3 you know, we can find d2 in mushrooms but but d3 we only find in animal foods um dha and epa omega-3 fatty acids there's some dha and some algaes and 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 seaweeds but um the really only way to get enough is by eating seafood uh, conjugated, conjugated linoleic acid is a great um, naturally found, actually it's a natural trans fat, which is really, I think, it makes it touches my geek button right there. But um, we find that in grass-fed um, animal products. Uh, zinc, heme-based iron, which is much more absorbable and bioavailable. Um, I don't know if I mentioned B12, but, you know, there's this list of, of um, nutrients that um, when you're dealing with a dysfunctional immune system um the the immune system really needs in order to regulate itself our bodies really need in order to heal damaged tissues and when we're not getting those because of a vegetarian or vegan approach um it really castrates the therapeutic potential of the autoimmune protocol so um you know i i if, if somebody is vegetarian or vegan for religious reasons um or strong moral convictions you know, I would recommend, you know, taking the autoimmune protocol to a functional medicine specialist so they can sit and really like, okay, where are you going to get this nutrient? Where are you going to get this nutrient? Um, and and figure out if there's any place um, where where you're willing to compromise. Are you willing to eat insects? Um, you know, that's um, a really uh, underrated. It's the gross factor, right? But it's an amazing source of mineral-rich protein um, that is actually surprisingly tasty. So, like, don't freak out. But, like, you know, asking those questions, like, is there is there some some place where I'm willing to give in order to increase the nutrient density of my diet? Um, but it's it's a huge huge challenge um, to get uh, the full therapeutic potential from the autoimmune protocol from a vegetarian or vegan diet because of these nutrients that uh, just are not um, either not found in plant foods or not found in plant foods in sufficient quantities to actually meet the body's needs. Wonderful. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the bug factor, the insects, <laughs> 
because actually at one point I had a patient come in and she was researching protein powder that was from an insect source. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a functional medicine doctor, I, I tend to forget about, you know, I like I think about all the other protein powders, but I forget about that one. That, cricket? That that is out I'm there. just going to say, cricket, cricket powder. Yeah. Cricket powder. There's, um, you know, uh, protein bars that you can buy now that are made with cricket powder. You can buy just cricket powder for, for smoothies or for making your own, like, power power bar type things at home. It has a really nutty taste. Um, and it's it's quite a pleasant taste. Like, it's like if you can mix it with banana, you basically have, like, a peanut butter banana type flavor with all of the amazing nutrients that crickets have. Like, it it's... Um, you know, I, I know pretty much everyone has stopped listening to this episode now. <laughs> sort of like, wait a minute, you're talking about eating bugs, that's it, I'm done. But um, there really is compelling nutrition. It's an amazingly sustainable resource. It uses a fraction of the amount of resources per um, gram of protein produced compared to growing meat. So it's a very, very kind protein for the planet. Um, and it's, it's a super nutrient-dense protein. And if you look at um, cultures around the world that have very low disease rates, they it's a very common theme to see insects as part of their cultural foods. Yeah, so it's not it's not that weird when it's you really, really think about weird. it. And there's actually In there's other countries anyway. <laughs> there's actually a lot of research going on, like you said, of how can we have more sustainable ways to feed our planet, to feed our humans on our planet. And there's, they are doing a lot of research right now on using insects for that purpose. It's a huge difference. I mean, it's night and day compared to right what it would take to, to have the same amount of protein in beef. And it, it saves land. It saves um, water. It's um, much, much cheaper. It doesn't cause, um, you know, pollution. It doesn't, right, you don't have to have the same, um, right, it's, they're, they're happier, right? Like you don't have them in, you know, concentrated um, animal uh, feedlot organization um, operations, right? Like it's just there's so many, like every the checkbox, the whole way down the checkbox, um, insects are uh, a more sustainable, environmentally friendly, um, and economical protein source than animal foods. So, you know, if that's if that's the middle ground and we're willing to have that conversation, you know, I think there's a really great conversation to have there. And same with seafood, right? I think that can be a middle ground that um, a lot of vegetarians can, you know, at least wrap their heads around. And um, and I think there's just like the, you know, adopting and transitioning the autoimmune protocol, there can be a bit of a give and take um, as long as... Uh, every person is informed about what the ultimate goal is. Um, there can be that same give and take in terms of uh, adopting a you know vegetarian inspired. Can we say vegetarian inspired version of the autoimmune protocol? We just um, did. Yes, I think we. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, I'm going with it. I said it. I'm going with it. That could be your next book, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Sarah, this has been an awesome interview again. Is there anything that we have not talked about that you think is important for our listeners to know? Um, I have a couple of new resources uh, since our last interview that I would love to point people to. Yes, please do. I have a new autoimmune protocol cookbook called The Healing Kitchen. Um, and it was specifically designed um, for um, sort of that transition, that first step into the autoimmune protocol. So it's extremely simple Um Simple to cook recipes, not sim- like delicious flavors, really um, with the, 
you know, Western palate in mind. So you're, you're just starting to cook these new foods and you're going to miss your favorites. Well, not anymore because they're in the healing kitchen and they taste delicious. Um, it's very budget friendly and it's, um, doesn't use specialty ingredients. So the idea was if you can get it in the Walmart superstore, then it gets to go into this cookbook. Um, so the healing kitchen is available in bookstores everywhere. Um, I think it just left Costco, but you might still be able to find it in your, in your Costco. Um, so that's a new AIP cookbook that I have. Um, and I also have a new online sleep program called go to bed. It's a little tongue in cheek. Um, but that is really about optimizing our day to day choices for not just getting the quantity of sleep we need, but also the quality of sleep we need. And it comes with, uh, you know, just a ton of resources, online communities, email series. It's, it's a really huge program and people can um, learn more about that at the forward slash go to bed. Fantastic. Thera, Sarah, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been another awesome interview. Oh, thank you so much. All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Sarah Ballantyne. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carrie.